Welcome to another episode of Product Led Podcast, and this is one of your co-hosts, Ramley John. Today, I talked to Matthew Spello. He is the Growth Product Manager at Prodboard, and we talk all about product-led experimentation. Now, how do you run product-led growth experiments in your company? You have a clearly defined system. In this episode, we dig into the topic, and Matthew shares seven lessons learned from five years of product-led experimentation. Now, before we start, I just want to let you know about the free product-led growth fundamentals certification course that you can take for free right now at productled.com. Now, this free course will introduce you to what it means to be product-led and provide you with a bigger picture of everything you need to do to be successful at the product-led strategy. Check it out at productled.com forward slash PLG certification or find that link in the description. Well, enough about this. Let's jump in in my chat with Matthews. Hey, welcome everybody to the Product Led Podcast. This is Ramley John from Product Led. I'm excited to have Matthews here from Product Board. And he wrote this really cool article about experimentation that they've been doing and all the lessons he's learned. How's it going, Matthews? How are things with you? Great. You know, I'm happy you know, to be here you know, chatting with you. I think we, we're both passionate about product led growth and you know, how can we make successful product experimentation work you know, across the organization. So exciting. Yeah, I actually got here because of Wes. Wes was like, he read your article. I'm trying to hype you up right now. Wes Bush was like, you got to get this guy on the podcast. This article is cool. You've also spoken on the summit, but you talked about PLG experimentation. Before we go, you know, I'm curious. I'm sure you have a lot of stories about different experiments you've run, but what's the most memorable and most proud experiment you've run? And was it the results or was it the learning? I'm curious, like, if there's anything that really sticks out for you, like, damn, this is a cool experiment. Could be anyone that you shared or something you haven't shared yet before. Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, it's a tough one, right? Because one of the things I always try to do is not to fall in love with any mm. solution, with any experiment, right? Because this is the process you know, for you to detach from your ideas for an experiment in order to be able to iterate further, right? And find out like solutions that can work. When I think about my experiment, I think like the most exciting part is really about building the learnings, right, with the experiments you have, right? Because, you know, you usually you start, you know, when you start a new experimentation process or you're in a new company, right, with a new team, you know, it's very common that we start losing a lot, right? Most of your experiments fail, you know, because, you know, you're still new, you don't have, like, the sense, like, you know, for, for which experiments could work, right, for the type of business, for the type of customers or users you have. So until you get to the moment that you ramp up and you build this knowledge base, right, and you get your first learnings, your first you know, successes, you know, I think that, that's the moment that you get hyped about, right? That you get, oh, you know, I'm getting there. So I would say, like, if I think about experiments, like, you know, that actually really excited me in the past, you know, going from my kind of B2B background, like that I started with product-led experimentation in the B2C environment, and after moving to the B2B, right? In the B2C environment, I think, you know, it's, it's about those experiments that you would not imagine that you know, it could drive the uplift, right? For example, sometimes you have an idea, you have a hypothesis that you, know, you think, okay, it's a small thing, but you know, it seems that this is the right way to go, right? And you get that big uplift. Now they'll say, hey, the hypothesis was right. So I was in the right direction. So this is, is something that can excite you, that can put you forward. I imagine like most of the experiments related to this are copy experiments where they're talking about value proposition. I remember one experiment in Avast with experiment with value proposition that was quite interesting, right? Avast is a, is a security company, right? It's a company that has antivirus, right, for consumers. 
And we kind of experimented with this value proposition and really drove, drove like a double digit, like a lift. It was unbelievable, right? Another thing, experimenting with like, you know, business models, right? I think it's super exciting because if you have volumes, right, you can experiment with different opt-out trials, you know, free trials, and, and you can see you know, how those business models can impact, you know, the business, like in really big numbers. So this was one of the, my biggest wins, like I guess, you know, experimenting with those those models, like you know, trying to shift from opt-out trial to free trials and this kind of things. You no, know, that was a very interesting experiment. And you start losing until the moment that you get you know, that big uplift. You know, usually the devil is in detail of the experiment, right? So you need to persist when you're running experiments. But moving to the B2B environment, I think you know the approach is completely different, right? In terms of thinking of experimentation. If you learn growth, product-led experimentation B2C. And you try to apply that to B2B, you know, you're gonna fail, right? <laughs> you need to kind of rebuild your mental model and everything. So I think the exciting part of this when you think about experiments is that it's much more about really creating the value for your user, right? Than like you know, optimization. So you shift the mindset from optimizations to value creation or value realization, right? So that you can tackle to onboarding experiments and so on. So that, that I think those would be like you know, I think the core experiments that really excited me and brought a lot of learnings and outcomes. You said something there that I want to jump on, and I didn't expect it. You said that if you apply B2C growth experimentations to B2B, you're going to fail. I, and you've been in both worlds. You've gone from B2C to B2B. Like what works and what doesn't work in B2B that applies to B2C? Yes, usually I would say, you know, you have like, you know, one of the first things that, you know, you have like in terms of when you compare B2C to B2B is that usually B2C, you have more traffic, right? that you can experiment more. So your experiment velocity is much higher, right? Because you can leverage, you know, much more experiments in a short period of time, right? If you, you can get statistical validity, you know, in a, in a quicker period of time. And usually like in the B2C environment, like, you know, usually your buyer persona is your like user persona, right? So by having this both combined, you know, makes it much easier for you to kind of, you know, design experiments because you can do a lot of optimizations like in the purchase flows, right? And usually like, and you can combine you know, those like, you know, two core aspects that is, is like, you know, the willingness to pay experimentation with the value realization experimentation. So it, it's a bit like a, a bit easier for you to tackle in terms of, you know, this perspective. Why when we look at B2B environment, it's much more complex, right? You know, usually you have like a different way, you know, to expose the value to the users and to get the users nurturing the process, right? Going from the awareness moment to the moment that they are trying your product, you know, they are realizing the value and they are making the purchasing decision. That sometimes not even the user persona that's making, right? You know, they have another person who's going to actually make the decision for the purchase of the software. So it's much more complex. You have like limited traffic. Usually, you know, if you think about B2B, especially in the startup world, right? You cannot leverage that much of the traffic, right? You have a limited traffic. Right, you cannot run very fast experimentation, and usually small changes or optimizations for the B two B environment they don't work well. Right, you really need to think about bigger bet experiments, experiments that really gonna make a bigger change, like in your in the way we approach onboarding, the way we approach other flows in the in the customer journey. So it's a totally different mindset. You go from optimization to bigger bets, right? Instead of like you know, optimizing to small incremental learnings. You are optimizing, like you know, for outcome in bigger bets and trying to learn, like you know, before you get to the experimentation. The experimentation is more to get you 
the validation of your idea, right? Confirm that your idea or your experiment is driving the desired outcome, the desired business outcome. While the whole learning aspect and usually is more concentrated in user research, right? Everything that comes before the experimentation, right? That's the core difference, I would say. Damn, man. You said that best. I've asked that question multiple times to other people and you answered that one of the best answers I've heard so far in that. You know, when coming up, you know, you've been talking a lot about experimentation. I love how you position B2B as you should be thinking about big bets versus I think B2C is more optimization. I think what's similar across both is coming up with those ideas for experimentations. I'm curious how you and your, you know, the team that you work with, how do you come up with experimentation ideas? Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's a great question. Usually experiment, like coming up with experiment ideas, you know, what we hear like, you know, in the market, trying to leverage brainstorming, team brainstorming, right? That you can leverage different team members with different like domain expertise so you can generate more ideas. But what I learned during the process that it's very expensive and very ineffective for you to just run brainstorming and the normal ideation, right? That the ideas come and after you know, you're going to experiment, you know, choose some ideas, prioritize some ideas and experiment. What I learned during my, my experience is that this is not the best process to go, especially in the B2B environment, right? That you, you don't have the luxury of experimenting like in a very fast pace. So the approach that I usually think about is trying to understand you know, what areas, like in terms of growth, they have the biggest opportunities, right, for you to grow. So I would say like when you think about product growth or product-led growth, you know, the way I like to put it is that it's usually the overlap between business outcome and customer outcome. If you think about the Venn diagram, right, have the overlap. So when you're taking into consideration the opportunity, so how you come up with your ideas, you need, to take, you need to take into consideration these two variables, right? How can you drive value realization that can also drive the business outcome? So these are the two areas you need to look into, right? Usually driving the value for the user, for the customer, you can do through user research, right? And I think one very good framework for that, you know, is the jobs to be done, right? Where you can understand, you know, what are the jobs that the, the customer, the user is trying to hire your product to do, right? And with that, you can define the needs, you can define you know, what's kind of the outcome that's being expected by the end user. While when you look in the other variable, that's the business variable, right? The growth variable, you need to be looking which areas, right, of your business, you know, of the customer journey, they can drive the biggest impact, the biggest outcome. So it depends from business to business. So the way I would do, I would look into these two variables, you know, doing user research with my users, potentially leveraging jobs to be done framework. And on the business side, I would play with growth models, right? For example, one way to look at this is that, you know, we have like the Pirate metrics, right? The very common framework, right? To think about growth, right? We can divide, define your growth area as acquisition, activation, monetization, engagement retention, and sometimes referrals, right? That are the loops that you have. So this is one way to look into, right? If you can split your customer journey into those areas, you can look like, you know, where do you have the biggest problems in terms of business problems, right? Is it your retention, right? Are you having like, you know, a very, very poor retention? Your churn is very high, right? Is it like, you know, your acquisition, right? Your retention is fine, you know, but you have a problem in acquisition, you're not able to acquire that many users. So I think, you know, this one of the aspects I would be looking like, you can think about monetization as well, right? I'm, I'm able to convert my user if I have a freemium model from free to paid, right? Am I giving users too much value during the free product, right? Or 
So there are different aspects that you can look into, right? So this, this gives you like a perspective of the business. So when you combine both business and users, you know, you're going to get potentially with the biggest opportunity areas you can find. Right? That's, you know, if you want me to develop further some aspects of this, we can, we can talk as well. We can be talking hours about that. No, no, that's, I really, once again, I like how systematic you are about thinking about ideas and experimentation. Obviously, obviously, you've already thought about this. You look at the user and you look at the business. When it comes to this, but you can also talk about any part of the growth process. Where do most companies mess up? Like, Where are some of the big mistakes companies make when they think about growth experimentation? The biggest mistakes, I think, you know, is like, you know, usually trying just to come up with idea. You, know, you just test the idea, like, you know, that, hey, I have an idea. I have an idea for your executive, right? And hey, my executive is coming up with this idea. So let's test it, right? I think, you know, the biggest challenge is just like, you know, listening to the hypo, right? That's one, one big problem. So you need to kind of you know, find a way to establish a culture, to establish like a growth team that can really fight back and really test ideas that are worth testing. So you need to make sure you're testing ideas that are worth testing, right? If it's an idea that's going to require a lot of development work, there's a lot of risk involved, you need to do a proper user research. So I see companies sometimes testing ideas that they don't have a proper user research behind it, right? And one nice way, one nice framework I usually leverage to come up with like, you know, experiment ideas is leveraging the scientific approach to experimentation, right? So you need to build a hypothesis to test, right? I think the great thing about building a hypothesis is that in a hypothesis, you can have like all the dimensions that are going to tell you that your experiment is worth testing, right? So the way I usually structure a hypothesis is that you need to think about the goal, right? You have an OKR or a goal. You, know, you identify the, what's the area with the biggest opportunity and like in your organization as we talked, right? So then you can build a, a, an objective out of this, right? And a key result. So you can think about experimentation that you're going to build a hypothesis in this focus area. Because one of the mistakes companies they usually do now, I done, I've done it in the past, is trying to experiment everywhere in the funnel, you know, like all at the same time, right? You can get too diluted. If you're going to get, you know, everywhere in the funnel, you might not be able to really focus on build learning or, or build like, you know, a really good foundation in a specific area. So focus is really important. That's why it's important for you to identify your most like, you know, promising theme. Let's say if I decided that there's going to be activation, right? I'm going to define an OKR to activation. I'm going to say, hey, you know, the objective here, is to increase activation by 30%, right? This is going to be my key result and objective. So if I think about that, I can work out with hypotheses that can go towards this goal. And the way you build this hypothesis, usually what you're trying to do, you're trying to come up with an action, right? That's the solution that you're going to test. Now, this action has an impact on a problem that you identify that's connected to growth, that's connected to your customer. And this is going to generate this impact, right? It could be like, you know, it's going to improve, let's say, if I create a product tour, right? That's my solution. Like, I'm going to enable users to activate better by 30%, right? Because I think that's the last piece of the, the hypothesis. That's the theory. Because of those evidence that I collect, right? So you need to have action. You need to have the outcome. And you need to have the theory behind it in your hypothesis. Because this helps you frame your idea, right? Now, wait, does, it, does this idea have an, an, a potential to be actually successful? If you find out that no, there's no strong theory behind it, and or the idea is not strong enough, right? You can like, totally ditch the idea. So this is one of like, you know, I would say the simplest ways to look into this, trying to leverage the scientific approach to experimentation by building hypotheses. 
That makes a lot of sense. I really love how you broke down that whole process. And that that's probably where a lot of people, a lot of companies fail when they come about experimenting is, like you said, let's just test this or the most important or highest paid person in the office is the one that, that decides what they experiment on. For organizations that are just starting out with growth or thinking about running experiments, do you have any advice for them in terms of like, hey, you know, like we've never done experiments in the past. We've never structured it this way. Matthews, where do we start? What would you tell those companies or those people? Absolutely. This is a great question. I think, you know, it depends on like, if you think about like, you know, when to start you know, an experimentation program, it depends a lot of like on the company growth stage, right? I would say, right? Depends on the type of business as well, right? And what I would say, you know, what would be the, what would be the, let me think. So it depends on like, you know, on the resources as well. For example, if I'm thinking, let's try to put like into different, if I'm a startup in B2B, right? For me to start experimentation, I would say you need to get already, already some good enough traction in order to be able to drive experimentation. For example, usually like rule of thumb, like we're talking about, you know, if you think about 30K visitors per month, right? You no, know, I would say would be a threshold that you should be thinking about. If you are below that, I would not recommend an experimentation program because you're going to be very slow to drive you know, the, the experimentation program. And I would recommend, you know, the company to focus more on user research, right? User research is, should be the focus because you need to first, you know, scale your growth you know, of your product to be able to be driving experimentation. and Another thing, another aspect of this that, you know, it's important to consider is that you should start your experimentation program after you got product market fit, right? That, you know, product market fit, you know, usually the best thing in case is the retention, right? If you're, if you're acquiring customers and they're retaining, right, you have a good lifetime value. It means that you have product market fit. So you're ready to invest in experimentation, to invest in growth teams, right? Otherwise, you know, you're not going to be that effective because your focus should be finding the product market fit. Right. So this would be like for the startup world. Once you got product market fit, you got enough traction, it's time for you to start, you know, the product-led experimentation program. Right. And the best way to start with this is to kind of you know, focus, I would say, on low-hanging fruits at the beginning. Right. Try to think about areas that have a high volume of traffic that you can experiment more quickly, that has a big problem with bigger opportunity. So that that could be no, one of the toughest areas for you to start experimentation is in activation <laughs> and retention. So it's so hard, you know, because it's a lot about you know, understanding whether users are realizing the value. And doing this in an experimentation way without having the traction is really hard. You really need to focus on user research first. But if you're in a big company like Avas, for example, right? If you're going to start a growth like, you know, programming Avas or in a company that has like, you know, really a lot of traction, I would say optimization, like, you know, that require a very low engineering effort that can show you some quick wins is a good way, you know, to establish the culture at the beginning. But that was the way I found my way in Avas, right? I started as a growth specialist and you know, until I had my team of growth people that were experimenting in the funnel. And the first thing is really trying to come up with the quick wins, the low hanging fruits, so we can prove to the execs and that you can drive impact. That would be my recommendation. It's funny you said, you said that, that activation is one of the hardest places. It's a lot of interesting stuff that happens there once you have traction. In the article about the seven lessons you learned, I want to ask something that you talked specifically about the activation. A lot of times, often people say that you should remove friction as much as possible there, but you actually put a lesson that friction is sometimes good in improving your onboarding conversion. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I, I really love that point that it's counterintuitive. And instead of like everybody saying, Remove friction. 
you're saying there are some friction that is actually good. Absolutely, absolutely. That's a great question. So one of the areas I see that friction is good, right? Because we hear a lot like from the conversion optimization world, we should remove friction. No, you should make your flow as smooth as possible for users to go through and accomplish what you want them to accomplish in the flow. So the problem is like, I would say this usually works very well for the consumer business, for the the B2C environment. As I mentioned, you have user persona together with the buyer persona. So there's a lot of things you can remove through the purchase flow or to the purchase journey that you can get users to convert better. It's more transactional in, in this case. On the other hand, when we look, for example, at products, at products that you want to drive and are a bit more value, like in the B2B environment, for example. And there's like different things that you want users to do at the beginning that require a bit of friction that's going to make these users realize more value in the future. Right? Let's, let me give an example for Product Board. Right? We ran an experiment in Product Board. Right? We realized one of the core values of Product Board is for the users to kind of be able to connect a customer user insight to a feature. Right, so you can build like a customer-driven roadmap. Right, that's the core value proposition. One of the core value propositions of Product Bar. So, in order for you to get you know, to this stage that you are getting feedback from users into Product Board, you know, and you are going to be able to prioritize you know, with this information at hand, you need first to set up integrations. Right, you need to be able to integrate you know, our feature that's Insights Board. Let's say to Intercom to Zendesk. Or to other like you no know, tools that you know you can push feedback from. So in this case, you know, for you to ask someone to do an integration during the onboarding is a lot of friction, right? Sometimes you need to have the authorization, to, let's say, to integrate, you know, with another tool. So it requires more time. So it's it's not like a very smooth experience. So in this case, if you get users to integrate, right, they're going to be able to get access to the value more quickly, even though there was friction on the way. Right? We ran an experiment, and I can tell you, we got like you know triple-digit improvement in activation just by introducing this integration friction, right? That was one core area. So if I move away a bit from act, from activation and I go to the acquisition part, I can give an example, right? In acquisition, it's very common for you to play with gated content, right? We offer an ebook, right, in order to collect emails from a potential prospect, right? And, and after be able to retarget them with nurturing flows. So if you are in a B2B environment, maybe you're moving towards mid-market enterprise, right? So if you come up with a flow that you're asking for the company email instead of the personal email, you're going to be able to select the audience that's not adequate to your business, right? You want to have like, you no know, company emails, not personal emails. And by doing so, you know, it's, you're, you're adding a bit more friction, right? Because someone needs to put like their company email, even though they might not be so confident, they really want to try your solution yet, Right. So, but by doing so, you're going to be able to really kind of get people who have a willingness to pay already or who have like, you know, some legit intent to your product, right? That can potentially become your customer. That's your eyes. So that's you no know, two examples on why friction is good. You know, so I, I think, you know, it's always good to think about friction. If the friction can drive value for the users, right? Or can drive value to the business, it's worth considering. I love that. That's a really great point that a lot of people often miss. It's like there, like you said, there are some friction if it adds value to your customer or adds value to the business. I want to jump into another one of your lessons. And I think it's an important key point that when you think about running experiments, you need to get your whole organization involved in you know running growth experiments. It can't just be, uh, maybe it starts off with just a small team, but it can't end up just being that one person. Oh, that's 
that's what Matthew said. He does experiments. He's just doing that on the side here. Let him do his thing. He's like this magician kind of, or like he's a genius. Let him do his genius work and we're going to work here. Why is that not a good idea? And why is it important to involve the whole organization when thinking about code experimentation? That's a great question. I think this is one of like, you know, the core like, you know, mistakes are like, you know, I would say is a change of mindset. You know, some organizations, they think like, you know, the experimentation program is only the job of the growth team or the product growth team of the growth marketing team, right? So this is a big mistake, right? You know, to, to really put, you know, the experimentation just as part of those teams. What I learned from my experience, you know, in Avas and in Product Board, you need to scale the experimentation program, right? You need to be able to get the whole organization rallying around running experiments, right? you know, having this kind of hypothesis-driven mindset. Right? Sometimes you know, they're not going to have all the rigor right, to build the experiments that you would build in the growth team. But I think the most important thing is really leveraging the scientific approach to running experiment, right? Am I testing the right ideas, right? Am I testing something that drives the business value, that drives like the customer value? So when you try to kind of you know transfer this culture to the rest of the organization, your chances of success are much, much bigger. For example, one of the things I've tried to do in Product Board is really trying to scale the experimentation program across you know, a cross-functional team. So we have a team, a cross-functional team that's composed by the product growth team, the demand generation team, customer success team, the sales team. So all together, we try to, to think about you know, how can we impact our specific part of the funnel or a specific part of the customer journey with some experimentation programs. So we've tried that, you know, and, and it's working very well. We kind of you know, get people to get involved. And you know, there's a moment that everybody is together thinking about experiments, right? And you, you build this culture in the organization. And there is a moment that everybody is trying to come up with their own experiment brief, you know, proving that their hypothesis is worth testing. And when you get this engagement in the organization, this is the moment that you can see that, you know, you got like to the moment that you know your experimentation program is successful. Otherwise, if you're just doing it in your growth team, you know this is not going to work. So, and it's not just about the product growth team and marketing, customer success, sales, but it's also about the core product teams, right? Because usually the core product teams they have a different mindset, right? They're not experimenting that much. So, this is one of the challenges we have right now in product board. How can we drive the core product team to be a little bit more experimental, right? So to get them to really leverage you know, this type of benefit. That's great. Now, thank you for sharing that. I know we've talked a lot about growth experimentation in the last half an hour. Just two final questions. First one is, if you can give one or two pieces of advice to product-led companies right now about experimentation, maybe it's to the product team, maybe it's to the founders, what would be your one or two pieces of advice about growth experimentation? Don't be afraid of getting started, right? No, I think, you know, sometimes like, you know, the organizations there, they are not confident about it, you know, because they feel, oh, there's statistics and I don't know how to run a test. You know, I don't know how to think about experimentation. So I would say like, just get started. You know, you might not be doing like the best process you can, but I think building the, the kind of, you know, this experiment, I think there are two things you need to think as a company. The two benefits of experimentation, the way I would say is it can help you drive the outcome. I think every organization wants to drive the business outcome, right? That, that's the growth that's going to like, you know, fuel the growth. And it can help you learn about your user as well, right? Learning what's driving the outcome, right? So I think, you know, product teams nowadays, right? We have like product teams, they're becoming more outcome-driven right? rather than output-driven. So experimentation is really core for, for those areas. So the piece of advice I would give, you know, to get started is, you know, there's a lot of good resources out there about experimentation. Like one of them is the product-led 
community that you and you as know are covering. There is a lot of good content there on how to to get started. I would say there's a lot of good content as well, like you know coming from Conversion Excel. It's a very you know they are referencing in experimentation. You know it's something that can give you some background. So if you're a little bit like hesitant, you know whether you have the knowledge to start with experimentation. So this could give you a little bit of a, a quick start. Really, really great, great advice. Thank you for that. I really appreciate it. And one final question. Where can people find out more about you? You know, this is your time for your call to action. Do you want them to add you on Twitter, follow you on LinkedIn? And, you know, when, where can people find out more about Product Board? Yeah, so about me, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Just look for Mateus Mello Growth. You know, product Growth, you're going to find me. I'm happy to connect and, and, and support. You know, if you have questions about growth, I'm happy to help. Once in, I, in the past, you know, I, when I was learning about growth, I wanted to have someone who could give me like advice and could give me some guidance. So I'm happy you know, to give guidance for anyone who would like to learn more about it. Just contact me. You can find me on Twitter as well, Mateus HFM. And Product Board, you, know, you can visit Product Board in productboard.com. Right? If you're looking for a product management system that can help you manage your product organization, your product lifecycle in a better way, to consolidate customer feedback, user feedback, and be able to prioritize features, build roadmaps, right? you, you're going to find it in Product Board. And even for growth experimentation, you can leverage product parts. So I totally recommend for you to check out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for that. I just really do appreciate it. My pleasure, Remy.